Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of Edge Sports. We have John Daigle of Roto World and NBC joining us today to talk about the Week 7 waiver ads. But before we get to that interview with John, I want to share an exclusive offer with Football Outsiders. We're the innovators of modern football analytics with proprietary metrics you know and love like DVOA and DYAR. They're used by teams, and they're also great tools for fantasy players. So get the most out of your fantasy teams and DFS lineups with an FO Plus package. You can become an outsider today with the promo code FANTASY25 and save 25% off site-wide. That's code FANTASY25 in all caps. That'll save you 25% off site-wide and on all Football Outsiders tools and statistics. All right, let's head over to that interview with John. Okay, joining me on today's show is John Daigle from Roto World and NBC Sports. John, how are you? Hope the season's treating you pretty well so far. It's been a wild one. We were talking about it behind the scenes, just how crazy this year has been. Uh, it basically takes waking up with a new kind of positive energy every single morning because you don't know what to expect. But we're see- six weeks in. You're clearly doing well. I'm trying to make it. It's a good thing I've already <laughs> lost all my hair because otherwise, who knows how it's uh. gone. But yeah, I mean, I th- everything everything's going well so far. Good to hear. I, I haven't had hair in quite a few years, so this year Good. hasn't quite lost it for me. But uh, yeah, it's definitely been a strange and, uh, and challenging one from a fantasy writer's perspective. And I feel like week seven is going to be pretty challenging as well. We had a number of injuries uh, happen in week six, and we're going to touch on some of the potential playing time beneficiaries of that. But I'll just kind of mention that this is the typical waiver wire game we play every week on the show where John will give his at least three. We may have some bonus guys for you this week, but three waiver wire, most interesting guys for the week. Not necessarily the best, just the most interesting. And I'll do the same. And John, since you're the guest, why don't you kick us off with your most interesting waiver pick for week seven? Let's go ahead and t- jump into DeAndre Swift because I know people want to talk about him and I am actually slightly concerned uh, I think we were, were both probably encouraged by his usage yesterday. He played 29 snaps over Adrian Peterson, who played 27. He also got yeah. a season-high amount of carries by a wide margin and handled a season-high 44.7% of Detroit's backfield touches. Uh, however, his 38% snap rate, those 29 snaps I talked about earlier actually weren't a season high mark. And remember, Adrian Peterson actually had an MRI on Saturday night, which I am concerned limited him in this game. And then when we see the Lions next week, it will bring Adrian Peterson back into our lives an uncomfortable amount. So (laughs) while I think he is a special talent and it is unfair that he would ever get moved back to the bench after what we saw yesterday, I still actually am kind of concerned that Daryl Bevel will lean on Adrian Peterson moving forward. You know, I'm, I'm kind of afraid that you may be right, John. It's it's really, there's some kind of mixed messages with the signals here. For one, having nine more carries than he'd had at any other time this season, you're like, great, ready to go. But he hasn't been over a 45% snap share any week this season, including this week. By snap share, his week looked identical to what it had been happening for previous weeks. So I don't really know what to make of it. The one extra piece that makes me a little bit more encouraged is that while the Lions won uh, the game against the Jaguars by about 20 points, this wasn't just a garbage time thing. It was actually uh, Kerry and Johnson and Peterson that took the team's final six running back carries with less than 10 minutes left in the first, uh, fourth quarter. So, I mean, it, it seemed like a clearly intentional thing to get Swift involved rushing and receiving early in the game. And as such, I think he deserves fantasy consideration in the short term, but I guess I'm not really ready to jump him into my lineups yet. It's just that the the upside is kind of enormous 
given how good of a receiver he seems to be, uh, minus that one game-winning touchdown drop he had in week one. But otherwise, getting a lot of work there, and I think that makes the ceiling such that he demands fantasy attention. I'll also say that the Lions had previously ran a 6-6 to pass-to-run ratio inside the 10-yard line, basically a coin flip in play calling whenever they got down there. And so to see them have, I believe it was 3-2 to inside the 10 and three and 4-1 to inside the 5, including... DeAndre Swift's three carries inside the five. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's also kind of concerning because as a Jaguars defense, like last week we targeted them because against the Texans because they did not have Miles Jack, CJ Henderson, Josh Allen, and DJ Hayden. But take away those players and like even when they are put back on the field, the last four games the Jaguars have just been steamrolled. So it's sort of the game situation as well that perhaps the Lions were just running at the clock because they were ahead by so much. Yeah, I think that's a real possibility. Uh, For my first pick for a waiver option for week seven, I'm going to pick a running back that I think has a little bit more workload clarity than Swift, although maybe not. I guess you can tell me, John. Uh, That's Philip Lindsay running back for the Denver Broncos. He had 23 carries and 101 yards in week six and dominated the, the Broncos backfield in touches. That probably happened because Melvin Gordon missed this game. And if you weren't paying very close attention, you might have assumed that Gordon missed it because of the DUI that was reported that he had earlier in the week, or it was reported earlier in the week at least. But it was actually the case that Gordon missed this game because of strep throat. And we still don't know exactly when and how his likely NFL suspension will get handed down. But based on everything that I've read, the collective bargaining agreement mandates that a player that has a DUI receive a three-game suspension. So I think that means maybe by mid-November when the NFL levies this suspension that that Gordon is going to miss three more games this season. Add that to the fact that Lindsey was getting a 50-50 workload split in week one in the first half before he suffered a toe injury. And I think that Lindsey's going to have some pretty clear fantasy value in at least three more games and probably flex consideration in particular in standard formats throughout the rest of the season. And as such, I think he's probably a pretty good waiver ad for week seven. What say you, John? There's a lot to unpack here because, first off, Lindsay looked great on film, looked explosive, clearly back yes. to full health now. Uh, having said that, I expected a larger touch share. I expected something similar to what Royce Freeman was getting behind Melvin Gordon and thus unlocking Melvin Gordon. For instance, Freeman handled 18% of the backfield's touches and the three games Lindsay missed, whereas Freeman actually handled 28% of the touches in this game, um, allowing Lindsay to handle 72%. So slightly lower touch share, although it's still good than what I thought. Having said that, there is still a ceiling for these players, uh, Lindsay in particular, because I don't think that game plan, which was odd and comical at the same time for the Broncos, <laughs> is going to last. Like the reason these running backs, as you mentioned, were not targeted was because Drew Locke finished with a league high 17 air yards per attempt and a league high nine attempts, 20 plus yards downfield on only 24 throws. It was such a odd way to run the offense against the Patriots. And I absolutely loved watching watching it. Don't get me wrong, but it was very clear what they drew up the game plan to be in this one game. And so if we just assume that was this one game and can add more targets shallower to the running backs moving forward, that is how we get Lindsay a much higher ceiling, especially if Gordon is supposed to miss the next three games. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Linty is going to need to get some extra targets to have real fantasy value to get in that kind of confident RB2 range because the Broncos' run blocking so far this season has been pretty bad. They have 3.59 adjusted line yards entering the week. That was the second worst of all teams ahead of only the Giants. So even though he has the speed to turn the corner in a way that maybe Gordon doesn't, if he's only going to be getting 15 touches per game and they're all carries, I just don't think he's probably going to be a tremendous fantasy option although the workload will probably justify at least flex consideration, if not better, with Gordon out. I'm with you there, yeah. John, give us your second waiver wire option for for Week 7. I'm just taking the easy ones, by the way, because we're going to talk Please about these. Yeah. We're going to talk about these guys anyhow. So everyone wants to know about Travis Fulgham. We might as well move on to him because in the past two weeks for the injury riddle Eagles, he is second among all receivers in the league in raw targets and 10th in target share in that span, finishing with the fourth most yards per route run in weeks five and six. Oddly enough, behind Chase Claypool, who's leading the league right now, and Justin Jefferson, who's third in the league. Both who run, well, they're both doing things with different strengths. Justin Jefferson is a tremendous route runner, whereas Chase Claypool just overpowers and is actually very agile and quick as well opposing defenders. Either way, though, this is Fulgham, who is who clearly has a rapport with Carson Wentz, and the fact is they have nowhere else to go right now. They lost Miles Sanders mid-game. Zach Ertz is now expected to miss the next month. The Eagles could get back Dallas Goddard this week on Thursday, and Deshaun Jackson is expected to play, but again, even when they opened the year, remember, Deshaun Jackson had been limited because they were hoping to keep him healthy for the entire year. That is what Coach Doug Peterson has said his one focus for Jackson outlook is, and even in limiting Jackson to start the year, he could not keep the veteran healthy. So in Thursday, a quick turnaround, I don't think Jackson's going to play more than 35-40% of the snaps. So there is still no uh, demand for Fulgham's target share right now. It is negligent competition behind him. You're not worried about Greg Ward, who's mixing in in the slot behind Fulgham. You're not worried about Alshon Jeffrey potentially being activated. This, there's just clearly nowhere else to go. So even if Goddard is healthy, I think Fulgham is here to stay. And that's something I did not say in last week's waiver wire column. I was betting against him and now I'm actually in his corner. Yeah. I mean, I I'm definitely in his corner, just kind of watching him. It seems like you, you mentioned the Carson Wentz rapport and it's, it really shows up in his targets on third downs in particular, where Wentz seems very comfortable going down the field to Fulgham and those those third and long situations that are normally just really difficult for an offense to convert. Um, and I don't have a ton else to add. I would guess I would say that over the last two weeks, Fulgham's had a 30.7% target share. That's ninth highest at the position. Ertz at 21.3%. You mentioned he's going to miss at least the next three weeks. Hightower, just 13.3%. Ward, just 10.7%. I mean, even if they get all of their other guys back, I have a hard time seeing anybody but Fulgham being the wide receiver one on this team going forward this season. Uh, and so I think he's a tremendous ad in fantasy formats right now. I, I think that's pretty much all there is to it. They're, they're running out John Hightower, and John Hightower is doing what we thought he would do whenever we first scouted him out of the draft. A speedster running straight lines down the sideline, getting a ton of air yards because he's being asked to catch volatile downfield targets. But that's exactly why he's not really coming down with many because he's getting the toughest targets from Carson Wentz. So perhaps Jeffrey, if he returns, or Jackson at full health, eventually takes Hightower's role. But at this point, they clearly can't take Fulgham off the field. No. And I mean, Fulgham does a lot of the things that I guess that the vintage Jeffrey could do, like elevating to make some of those difficult contested catches. So 
give me the younger and healthier guy now. Um, and if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But I think that Fulgham has tremendous upside as, as potentially a number one receiver for the team. Definitely worth your fab bids. Uh, I'm going to shift for my next player, possibly pl- two players here talking about players on the Jets, which seems like a fool's errand in fantasy, but uh, maybe hear me out, John. Maybe I can talk you into him. I'm going to start with LaMichael Perrin, the running back. Uh, he did not actually have a very good day um, in the first game after Le'Veon Bell was released by the team. Seven carries for 27 yards, pretty inefficient, just two catches for nine yards on three targets. Frank Gore had more yards and more touches, um, but I actually think that this came as a result of a sort of a critical drop uh, that Perrin had um, in the game where in the first half he had six carries versus five for Gore and dropped to just one carry versus six for Gore in the second half. And after the game, we saw Adam Gase talking about, you know, Perrin's confidence and that type of stuff. To me, I sort of read this as sort of the growing pains that you could expect from a day two or day three rookie running back. And with the Jets floundering at zero and six, I mean, I just don't understand what the incentive would be to keep rolling out Frank Gore every game. Uh, Obviously, he's had an incredible career, but Perrin is the player that has a chance to be a piece of this team going forward. So I just imagine that his workload is only going to increase. And the fact that his 58% offensive snap share was much higher than Gore's 35% in this game, I think the signs are there that they're kind of shifting that way. And I'm I'm going to chase that sort of snap share more than the workload share as a reason to pick up Perrin and fantasy. Do you, do you buy into that at all, John? So here's the thing. I buy into all of your logic, but I have a blanket rule to typically not roster Jets players outside of Jameson Crowder. And uh, I think it's worked <laughs> out so far. Well. Yeah, yes. I think it's worked out so far. Um, it just sucks, honestly, because Chris Herndon was one of my favorite players coming into the year had a proven rapport, even as rookies together with Sam Darnold. And it's just very clear that Adam Gase absolutely ruined him. And now we're just waiting for Gase to go. Um, so does it make sense that P. Ryan could have more than one carry after the sec- after the halftime like he did this past <laughs> week? Of course it does. But we're playing rational coaching fallacy here. And nothing that makes sense is in Gase's playbook. And so that's why I worry about P. Lone's workload moving forward, or P. Ryan's. Um, mm-hmm. Gore is actually, he's played four games now without Le'Veon Bell this year. And in those four games, he's gotten at least 14 touches in all of them. So it is yeah. clear that Gase has his favorites, and he's going to keep playing those favorites. That is my only concern. I mean, I think it's a fair concern. My, I guess my perspective is that I think we can be pretty confident that Gore isn't going to have tremendous fantasy value, at right. least not in your deeper formats. Where where Perrin had a 12.7% college receiving ratio at Florida, it's like with the likely game scripts the Jets are going to be in, he is the one that has the upside to see those like five, six receptions per game, kind of in the way that made Bell a relevant fantasy option with the Jets, even when he was getting 60, uh, 60 rushing yards per game. You could catch those patches in PPR formats and kind of maintain the fantasy value. So I think it's it's maybe a bit of a lottery ticket, but I think he's the one of the two that has the chance to actually be a fantasy asset for you going forward. Well, it's kind of like Jeff Smith more recently because Jeff Smith mm. got 20 targets in the past two games before Perryman returned. He, of course, barely turned that into 100 yards because it's still Joe Flacco under center, <laughs> but you are correct. Uh, everyone forgets that Perryman literally turned 27 just last month. Like The guy's not old at all. Um, if anything, he's just hitting his peak, and I know he's hitting his peak with Joe Flacco right now now, but 
I, I am more willing to buy into Perryman. Do we accidentally transition into Perryman, by the way? Let's, let's just keep, let, let's keep the Jets okay. talk rolling. Like that's how we get our listens. Cause people just want to hear all the Jets fantasy topics. <laughs> uh, okay. I didn't, I actually didn't mean to do that. We just started rolling about how bad this <laughs> offense is, but, uh, but no, so Perryman would be the next one we talk about because he is the team's deep threat. And as we said, with Chris Hogan going to IR midweek, it's Perryman who returned and took over for Hogan mm-hmm. as the team's boundary receiver leaving Jeff Smith to run routes on the other side. And then, of course, Jamison Crowder to lead this team in targets weekly as, oddly enough, a top 10 fantasy wide receiver, although he's not getting the respect for doing that so far under Adam Gase. So, yeah, uh, Perryman's your deep target guy who's still somewhat produced in this game, right? Eight targets, four catches for 62 yards. And he's going to be, in my opinion, more of a touchdown or bust wide receiver three weekly. But... He clearly has the proper role to do that as the guy getting downfield shots. So that I agree with that. And the, the one thing that I'll take it a step further to say he could potentially have fantasy value, probably more with Sam Darnold playing than with Joe Flacco. Mm-hmm. But I see him as like a red zone threat in general and not just a downfield threat. And my argument would be that he's had 0.078 opportunity adjusted receiving touchdowns per target since 2019, which is tied for sixth highest among about 100 receivers who have had similar target shares. So, I mean, that's kind of a roundabout way of saying that he's actually pretty big. He's six foot two and 215 pounds. Crowder is obviously the team's number one target by target share, but he's a slot receiver, just five foot nine, 177 pounds. Jeff Smith, six foot one and 195 pounds. Hernan is somebody with a lot of talent, but isn't getting a lot of target share right now. I, I think that Perriman could be the player that is, gets the garbage time production, basically. Um, gets some of those late touchdowns to salvage fantasy days where he may be second in the team in target share, but if the Jets have to pass 40-plus times per game because they're trailing, maybe Perriman can kind of make his way into fantasy value that way. I don't know if I've successfully convinced you, but that's my pitch for for the second Jet in fantasy. No, it, it makes total sense in any other scenario, not under Adam Gase. Uh, I would just also <laughs> emphasize that, remember, the Jets have scored six touchdowns this year, and three of those have come on broken plays. Now, yeah, two of them, point. of course, are broken plays where Sam Darnold, much like he did his rookie year, showed us the magic he can make outside the pocket because he was, before he played under Gase, a special player. Um, made tremendous plays outside the pocket, just scrambling around. So maybe if he does that, he finds Perryman running deep, wide open. So there is that possibility. We'll keep our fingers crossed. But for my third waiver wire recommendation for week seven, I'll probably center back in on somebody who makes more sense for your shallower formats. And that's actually Rob Gronkowski, a player that I think has been dropped in quite a few fantasy leagues. He's just over about 60% rostered in both ESPN and Yahoo formats right now. Coming off a game with 78 yards and a touchdown on eight targets that actually led the Buccaneers. To me, there's been a pretty striking split since O.J. Howard got hurt. Gronk had a 9.3% target share in weeks one through four, just 31st among tight ends, but up to a 20.6% target share since then, ninth among tight ends. I don't think you're going to be confusing Gronk for you know the Mark Andrews of the world. There's probably four or five elite tight ends in fantasy right now. But the rest of the top 10 is kind of in shambles, especially with John o. Smith potentially missing some time too going forward, that I think Gronk deserves to be picked back up and even in your shallowest fantasy formats. What do you think of that, John? Through three and a half quarters this past week, he actually ran a route on a season high 
76.6% of Tom Brady's dropbacks. Uh, what they did, because they tried last Thursday night against the Bears, starting Tanner Hudson. And Tanner Hudson not only had a drop, but ran the wrong route. Brady pushed him off the field, and Cam Brake came in for five catches. So what they did this game was just reduce the roles of both and let Gronk roam free by himself. So I actually think we'll see something similar to this workload moving forward. And it kind of makes sense what he's doing. He's just playing himself. This is my spin on it, by the way. I could be completely wrong. But in my opinion, like the guy got off the couch and he's now playing himself into game shape uh, half of, like half of the season yeah. through, right? Like he's slowly, yeah. like kind of like when Melvin Gordon returned from holdout, he's slowly banging himself into regular season shape. And that's why he looked better. That's how he was able to body linebackers against the Packers, like a vintage form of himself, and has quietly seen six targets targets in three of the past four games. So I actually think Gronk is kind of here to stay as a low-end tight end one. I, I like it too. Okay, great. And I think you have a couple of bonus options for people uh, for maybe need to make some extra waiver ads for week seven. Who do you have beyond the, the six that we've discussed so far, John? So I play in a few 14, 16 team leagues yeah. and I, I talk about these deep cuts on the Roto World Football podcast and people seem to like it. Um, it's just a bunch of spares who we need to reach for because everyone right now is struggling to fill starting slots. That's for um, sure. This, this one is actually a 12-team pickup. He'll be a hot commodity, but we can talk about a situation. That's Boston Scott because yes. we already mentioned Miles Sanders out for this game and perhaps week eight against the Cowboys. And Boston Scott has one start this year without Sanders, and he outsnapped Corey Clement 38-25 to and outtouched him 11-8. to And so – while I think that Jason Huntley, who is still on the roster, could be involved for a couple touches, and they could also promote Adrian Killens to also get involved, I still think Boston Scott will lead this team in both touches, targets, and catches, all the above. And um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, you were struggling with bye weeks and injuries. We're all out here trying to grind the two running back spots that are necessary <laughs> every single week. And so I think Boston Scott is the best among that group to pick up. Your thoughts? I support it. So, I mean, I think I originally was kind of lazily just comparing Boston Scott to Darren Sproles because both of them are five foot six. And I never mm -hmm. thought that Scott could see the type of a heavy workload you would need to actually have success in fantasy. And we haven't really seen it yet because at least since Scott broke out, Miles Sanders has been healthy that entire stretch. But Scott is 203 pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot, but at five foot six, it is. He's actually one of the biggest backs in football based on BMI, which is something that, at least in my research, is kind of a better indicator of the ability to withstand big workloads than just weight is on its own. So mm -hmm. I think that Scott could definitely do it. Um, and I think he's a very valuable fantasy pickup for as long as Sanders misses time. I'm glad we are on the same page with that. Uh, another one. Is um, So this one's going to surprise some people. But Albert, here we go. Okwe Bunam, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Sounds great to me. activated for the Broncos for his very first regular season game. And what he did was step in for Noah Fant, who was also 50-50 to play this upcoming week in week seven. And he tied Gronk for position high and targets 20 plus yards downfield. And just remember that Alberto, who we're, that's what we're going to call him moving forward, is a superstar athlete, like 6'6", 258, 44940 at Indy's Combine. Um, just an absolute stud who now they are suddenly getting involved in place of Fant strictly downfield. And given that the tight end position as a whole is a weekly hellscape, 
that it's hard <laughs> to find someone to start. Like everyone's still out so here true. starting Tyler Higby, despite the fact he's only had one good game against Nigel Bradham, who everyone Don't beats remind up. me. Yeah. I was such a big fan of Higby coming into the season, and people roast me on a weekly basis oh, now for it. I did too. I got him in a pros versus Joes as my tight end premium flex, and I am clearly in last place in that division right now. Um, so yeah, I, I just think in deeper leagues, you need to reach for a tight end. You need some bye weeks to fill. Albert O is a good place to go as long as Noah Fant is still out. Excellent. I love it, John. And thanks so much for joining me on, on this episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Why don't you let everybody know where they can read all of your work and listen to all of your great work? The pleasure was mine, Scott, just to let you know. And everyone else can find me, the Roto World Football Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And then also, we are usually back an hour before kickoff on Sunday morning for the Roto World Start Sit Q&A Last Minute Decisions show. So that and follow me on Twitter at NotJDaigle. And if you're still into the season long thing, by the way, rotoworld.com slash edge, use the promo code Daigle10 for 10% off your package for the rest of the year. Outstanding. Thanks so much, John. And thanks to all of our listeners. This has been the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review our podcast as well, please. And then swing back on Friday to hear all of my DFS thoughts for week seven. Thanks so much. And I'll talk to you then. That's right.